welcome to Excellent Questions. I'm your host, Yahya Kella. My guest today is David Daredevil Eau Claire, an HR professional based in California. We talked about resumes, networking, LinkedIn, and much more. So let's begin. I'd like to start off by asking you, you know, what your background is and how did you get into recruiting? Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And I started out in operations at a health club. I technically actually was in their their childcare, playing with the, the kiddos, did that for about two years, moved to their front desk. I got sick of playing with kids after two years, 40 hours a week. It was fun while it lasted, but time to move on. So went to the front desk, then became a personal trainer, then became a supervisor, an assistant manager, an operations manager. I helped us close one health club that wasn't doing that good, helped us open a brand new one down the street from the one we shut down that was 10 times bigger and fancier and just more modern, and then ran my own club for a couple of years. So I, one piece of my job was you know, the hiring and firing of all my staff. And I loved it. I loved the candidate process, getting interviews, meeting new people, hiring people, coaching them, training them. So I got a small, um, I guess you could say, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, but I got a small taste of it. There we go. So graduated college with my degree in accounting and got a, a job at a top 10 CPA firm in the nation called Clifton Larson Allen and did uh, taxes and audit for three years. And it just wasn't for me. It was a great company. I worked with some really smart, strategic people, and I learned a ton. But at the end of the day, I just I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't want to be sitting behind a computer doing tax returns all day. It's not what I was made for. So I reached out to a recruiting agency called Robert Half because at first I thought the problem was the hours. We worked a lot of hours at that firm. And I said, hey, I want my life back. Are there any firms in the area where I can do the same work, but just have a a normal 40-hour work week. So as we were going through the recruiting process, I got really curious about the job and I asked my recruiter, what do you do? Like behind the scenes, what does this process look like? How do you spend your day? And so we got on another phone call and, and she talked with me about the job, asked me if I wanted to come interview internally. And so I said, sure. Went over there, ended up being there for five hours, met my entire team, which was about 10 people, got to sit in the bullpen as we call it and watch them work for a little bit. Really fun experience. I was stoked. I, they offered me a job. I took it. Fast forward to COVID and our district was about 170 people going into COVID. It's now down to about 20 if I had to guess. So I pivoted just like everyone else. And it was an, an interesting experience because all my prior jobs I got through networking. I didn't really go through the traditional process of building a resume, building a cover letter, deciding what job boards should I be on, going through an interview process. It was always introductions were facilitated and I got you know right in line with the hiring manager and got the role. So I got to see it from the candidate's perspective for the first time and found a company called Measured Results CPAs. We're a full service CPA firm, had several discussions uh, with them and they said, you know what, we're not sure if this is actually the right time or not. So I felt a little bit rejected because it was my perfect ideal job to be a recruiter in a CPA firm because that's my language. So I can I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking with the candidates. 
So I decided to stay in touch with them because I wasn't sure if they truly meant not now or if it was a no, but they didn't want to say it. So about once a month, I would email one of the team members I met with, or I would even connect with some of the other potential team members on LinkedIn. And I just said, hey, I interviewed with Megan and with Tyler, had a great time meeting both of them, potentially might be brought on board in the future, wanted to get to know you a little bit, find out why are you there? Are you planning on staying? Is it a happy place? You know, just sort of getting to know the the team a little bit. And then on my birthday, uh, it pinged the CEO, Tyler, um, and he reached out and said, happy birthday. Could we could we have lunch? And I said, sure. And at lunch, she said, you know what? The timing's right. If you're still on the market, we'd love to offer you a position. And here we are today. Ended up giving me the title of head of talent and been rocking and rolling with them since August 10th. August 10th. Wow. Pretty recent. Yep. Wow. Sounds like quite a story. And you mentioned most of your roles you had through either networking or just introductions. It leads me to this common question people have, job seekers have. How many of the job opportunities are actually posted on you know LinkedIn or indeed or what have you you know that's that's a good question. There's something us recruiting people call the hidden job market because you're right. there are jobs that are not posted for one reason or another, and so I always think it's interesting when people will not work with recruiters because I'm like, guys. There could be your dream job, and they might be contacting you with a potential promotion or a raise. I got to staff for one of our clients recently last year. It was a really exciting company. When I heard who it was, I thought, hmm, maybe I'll go back into accounting and I'll just take the job for myself because the company, their reputation is just so amazing in my eyes. I thought, this is a cool opportunity. And they're a business partner. And we said, you know, instead of posting this job and you guys don't have internal recruiters, why not just let David fill the job? And so that's the perfect example of, you know, I don't know the number of what percentage of jobs are posted versus what percentage of jobs are not. But sometimes that's just the way employers want to go. So if a recruiter ever reaches out to you, I always say, at least send one message back, figure out what do they want? Who's the company? What's the job? You know, get a few of those high level details and then determine if you think you should continue talking with that recruiter or not. Mm, yeah. So you're pretty active on on social media, on LinkedIn, and, and you post advice for both job seekers and I think sometimes hiring managers. Where did that come from? Uh, what sparked your interest in sharing your ideas publicly? Um, I think it's a couple things. One of it is Measured Results is is not a huge firm. We have two locations in California recently uh, hired three people in Texas, but there's so few, they technically don't even have an office yet. They're working from home. And there is 40,000 CPA firms in the United States. And as I mentioned to you, I, I do a ton of networking. I've always known the value behind it. And so part of it's just trying to build our brand for people to know us, to know that, you know, David now works for measured results. And even one of my friends told me once, if, if you work there, I have to imagine it's a pretty awesome team because we know you're picky and it's it's what i preach to everyone if you don't like your job get out of there you know we're there 40 hours a week you shouldn't be miserable at work so it's a re- it's a really really cool place and I, i'm just sort of trying to get our name in the market to the candidates that know me and and you know forming relationships with candidates that don't and every now and then the posts won't get that many likes or they won't i'm trying to gauge is this worth my time even if it only takes five minutes, that's still five minutes that I could be reaching out to a candidate for our hardest to fill position. So what's the the value of this? 
And every now and then I'll have someone reach out to me and they'll say, your energy is so positive. Your tips are very practical and easy to use. I'm having a hard time finding my next job. I'm not an accountant. I'm not an admin person. You and me more than likely would probably never work together, but I feel like your knowledge could be really useful. Can we jump on a Zoom call? And I say yes every single time for one reason, just because I have empathy for people who can't find work for whatever reason. And I want to see if I can help them. The other thing that I think it's doing selfishly is that they're never going to forget that those 30-minute phone calls that usually end up turning into an hour to an hour and a half, because as I dig, we find more and more solutions for them. They're never going to forget that free hour and a half I gave to them. And if they happen to have someone who is an accountant that's looking for a job, they're going to say, hold on, don't submit any resumes. Reach out to David and see if he's hiring. At least I hope that's, <laughs> you know, that's potentially what happens. But at the end of the day, I love serving my community. So even if that never happens, just to be able to, to help and give value to someone and give them a ton of new ideas that they don't know because they don't live in the space that I do, it, it makes my day and I, I love it. So that's why I do what I do on LinkedIn. That's awesome. And it is very important work. Now that I think about it, navigating the job market is quite difficult for a lot of people, especially people who are immigrants. They're not used to how things are done in North America. People coming out of a hiatus, whether they are a stay-at-home parent for a while or just new grads who come into the workforce and they're, they're not sure how to navigate or, and they're not really taught explicitly how to get roles and get in front of hiring managers and the channels that uh, you're all too familiar with yeah no you're right and one phone call i got that i will never forget to the point that you just made is someone contact me a couple months ago and he remembered me from a speech i gave at a university right before covid happened and we were still doing in-person events and he said we did the consultation went over his resume and his cover letter and then he said, you know, I'm so glad that you were at the university that night because I came to America. I'm trying to support my family. I felt like I wasn't as smart as the rest of the people in the room. I didn't really know how to conduct a job search and it, w it wasn't going too well. And you showed up and he said, to be honest, I don't remember a word of what you said, but I was just so excited and I was getting tingles up and down my spine and you just motivated me that I can do this. I can make this happen and me and my family can have a future. And I've been following you on LinkedIn ever since. And every time I'm down and I sign into LinkedIn, I see one of your posts and it invigorates me. And uh, as he was talking, um, I almost teared up a little bit because no one has ever told me, like, you've changed my life for the better. That's just mm. not something I've heard. And the impact of that was like, yep, the five-minute post on LinkedIn, more than worth it. Showing up at universities to give you know motivational uh, talks to students, totally worth it. I will continue to do these two things, knowing that there's probably more people with this story that I'll never know about, but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's really rewarding when you're able to make a difference like that. Yeah. A lot of your content has started to kind of expand a little bit into more career progression, career advice. From your experience seeing candidates and, and hiring managers go through the process, what can people benefit from thinking about their career in, in, in long term? You know, I would just say we touched on that earlier, sort of very, very briefly, that 
I definitely believe in being happy at your job. It's called work for a reason. There's a side of my job that's a lot of admin work. There is one day last Thursday, I think, where I had about three or four hours of just setting up interviews and scheduling and lots of emails and reformatting resumes. Hated it. Hated every second of it. So there's going to be some parts of your job you don't like. I like talking to people. Days where I have back-to-back interviews are my favorite days, and I thrive off those days. So you're not going to be happy a hundred percent of the time, but I really think that you know my my career story. I went from operations to public accounting, now to a recruiting slash HR job, and and part of that there is steps that just sort of force the career change, such as graduating college. But as I mentioned, I left the accounting industry because I just wasn't happy there because of the long hours, and I wanted my life back. And so I would tell candidates or people who are even employed. If you're miserable at work, that's eventually going to spill over into your home life, whether you're married or even in your social circles. Eventually, it'll wear on you enough that you're going to see it start impacting your personal life as well. And so if you can find a job, an industry, a career where 60, 70, 80 percent of the time that you're working that job, you feel fulfilled rewarded, that you're waking up with purpose every day, that you're not groaning when the alarm goes off thinking, oh, I have to go see David at work again. If that's what you're feeling, you got to get out of there. So maybe the industry is perfect. Maybe you're an accountant and you love doing taxes and audits, but you hate your coworkers. You got to go. Do it for yourself. Do it for anyone you live with. Do it for anyone, you know, do it for your, your social and your inner circles. Because you know, we're here, what, 80, 90, 100 years at best. And, and I think we should enjoy the majority of that time or at least try to. So my advice would be if your job sucks, you know, figure out what you like. What would you consider to be fun that you could get paid to do and then mm-hmm. go do that? Yeah. Uh, what's with the uh, daredevil nickname? You have this uh, signature on your profile and in your emails. You even have a quote from uh, Karen Page in your email signature. What's the story behind that? Yeah, thank you for asking that. It's a fun question to answer. The easiest answer is I've jumped out of seven perfectly good airplanes, uh, so seven times skydiver. Second part of it is it's easy to find me on LinkedIn. If you go and type Daredevil into LinkedIn, I'm the only recruiter that pops up. And along with that, trying to figure out a way to just cut through the noise a little bit. There's thousands of recruiting agencies in the U.S. I know accountants are getting pinged all the time. So I was trying to figure out a way to to help the candidates hear me so that all the attention is on me and measured results as as they're deciding which of these recruiters am I going to respond to. And even the first time I connect with someone, I don't even say anything about the firm. I don't think I even put measured results in my connection message. It just says, hey, uh, Megan, my name is David, uh, uh, David Dare Devil Claire. And the reason for that is I've jumped out of seven perfectly good airplanes and I resonate with the psychology of the fictional character, Matt Murdock. I'm building my talent community. Would you like to connect? Because my ultimate goal is just for them to hit that connect button. So then it opens the door that we can start messaging back and forth. And eventually, hopefully, we get on the topic of would you potentially like to look at measured results as, as your next spot in your professional journey? And then the the more long-winded answer, or the main reason I would say, is that there's a book called The Psychology of Daredevil. I picked it up on a whim because I loved the show, and I thought this book might suck or it might be really good. And I was reading through it, and I, I felt like I resonated with the character, Matt Murdock, um, more than I realized. One of the quotes from the book is that Matt Murdock is not a devil. The character is a man. 
So let's look past the disguise. Like him, try to perceive more than eyes can reveal to understand the man without fear, the people around us, and maybe ourselves too, that see without seeing, let's dare. And so what I sort of took from that is I have all these titles, right? Recruiter, operations manager, head of talent. But past that, I'm also a brother, a son, a friend, an accountant, a student, a dog dad. But even more than that, I'm also loyal, funny, lighthearted. And on the flip side of that coin, I also have my days where I get anxious or depressed or worried or frustrated or angry. And so as I was reading through the chapter, it sort of feels like, you know, we do, we all have sort of these two parts. Our daredevil side of us is, is maybe those titles like operations manager or tax accountant or what have you. But really us human beings, there's so many more layers to us, you know, our personalities, our good days and our bad days. And so I just really resonated with that statement and with the entire book as a whole. And, and I have one other quote, if we have the time for it, I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but that's where the nickname came from. Yeah, let's get into it. We got lots of time. Okay, sweet. So the other one is that, let me pull it up real quick. Sometimes a realization of our own ignorance occurs following a traumatic event And just as our bodies get stronger when we push ourselves physically, our personal strengths also develop when we challenge ourselves, I'm going to mispronounce this word, psychologically. And I realize that I've gone through some events in my life where I feel helpless, which is part of the definition of a traumatic event. And I'm also obsessed since I've graduated with college on how humans work. So I study a lot of things such as emotional agility, why we sleep upstream issues, uh, something called the reticular activating system. And as I was reading through the book, I started to wonder about myself, is my fascination with people and, you know, trying to build the mental side of my brain and constantly be learning partly connected to the fact that I have had those events in the past where I did feel helpless. But and, and some of these issues too, or not issues, but these subjects like why do we sleep, emotional agility, upstream issues, you know, they're not directly related to recruiting, but in a way they are, because what am I doing all day? I'm dealing with people. So the more I can figure out how we tick and how we operate, the more I think I can not just get to know the candidates and determine if they're going to be a good fit with measured results, but hopefully so I can add some value to their lives too. And, And oftentimes in interviews, I'll try to bring up these topics and see if I can you know, just help them get to a new level of understanding about how we operate as human beings. Mm. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of thought behind that name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what point did you start using it? It's pretty new. Late 2019, I think. Or not mm. 2019, I'm sorry. 2020. Okay. Yeah. Really came out of your shell last year. A little bit. Yeah, COVID forced it out. I see. Yeah, I did that for a lot of people, I'm I'm assuming. You mentioned you're really interested in, you know, how people work and and how their minds work more specifically. How much of that understanding has informed your uh recruiting process? Um quite quite a bit. For example, some of the interview questions I ask are specifically trying to extract, are they self-aware? Do they have good social skills? 
Do they have good self-regulation? Do they have good self-awareness? So sometimes I'll just ask, have you heard of emotional intelligence? And then if they haven't, we'll talk about it for a few minutes. And if they have, but other times it, it'll try, I'll, I'll try to extract it in another way, especially if they haven't heard of the term before. But it also has changed our job descriptions that we post when we're posting jobs it's changed the way I talk to people, how I try to get them to break out of their shell so that in that interview process, I really see the true candidate. And I try to break down the facade, get them as comfortable as possible to, to sort of figure out, is this person being genuine or am I getting the, the nervous side of them or, or are they not a good employee and they're hiding something, you know? So it, I would say it hasn't like revamped the department, but the fact that my studies have changed what questions I ask, what words we put in our job descriptions, and, and even just the way I, I present myself in an interview, it's definitely impacted it. Yeah, yeah. And I can, I can think of many examples of people coming into interviews with a, with a game plan to present themselves a certain way. Or even that backfiring if they're too nervous and so on. You mentioned, you kind of alluded to this where your goal is to really get the real person in the interview. And that's usually works in their favor, I guess, uh, ideally. What's, uh, what are some of the ways that you change the job descriptions to attract the right people? Two things. We shorten them. And we also added a section called What's in it for you? Where it's specifically basically saying here are three reasons that this job could potentially benefit you. Because one, they were pretty long when I showed up. And I just thought, you know, when I was doing my job search, a lot of it was on my cell phone. And if I saw a job that was interesting, I might move on to the desktop to then, you know, stalk the company a little bit, visit their page, visit their LinkedIn profile, determine if I wanted to apply or not. So I thought from that perspective, people are just thumbing through on their cell phone. So we need to get these shorter. But we're also just talking about, about us. You know, they, they know what a tax accountant position is. We don't need to write a short novel on what they're going to be doing here when they could probably guess I'm going to be preparing tax returns. So if pretty quickly in the job description, we say, get a work-life balance. You're only going to work 45 hours a week during busy season and 40 hours a week the rest of the year. That immediately is a, oh, oh, there's something different about these guys. We're not going to be working a 70, 80, or 90 week with them. And then they see, maybe we'll put that, there's a quarterly bonus, and then we'll put, I'm blanking on what the the third and fourth ones are. But we have a couple different ones, and we'll switch up what's in there. And, And the way we word it, too, is, you know, only working 45 hours a week, you'll never have to miss your kid's soccer practice, your evening trip to the gym ever again, whether it's tax season or not. So I'm trying to to get in their heads a little bit that they think, oh, that would be nice to be able to make my kids soccer practices. Yeah, if that's one of the features of this job and they mean that, or whether it's the gym, whatever it is that you do outside of work, you get that back with us because the public accounting industry is notorious for when it's tax season. So February, March, April and extension season, September and October, you're going to be working anywhere 60 or more hours a week. And and your personal life sort of disappears for four and a half months of the year. So if you come work with us, we give that back to you. Mm. So you really, you put, you put some time into thinking about how can we attract someone and give them value and, and, 
in more ways than just, oh, we'll pay you. We'll give you a job. Exactly. Yep. Mm. And even just putting a lot of use. So instead of saying the senior tax accountant is going to be preparing S-corp returns, we might say you are going to be preparing S-corp returns. So just just those little things or even saying, if you do this, this, and this, or how did I word it? The most recent change was, are you this, are you that, and are you this? If you're thinking yes, yes, and yes, then keep reading. So from the first sentence, trying to get that buy-in and trying to get their their wheels turning, where they literally then are thinking, yeah, that is me, that is me, that is me. Keep reading. Okay. So I, I'm trying to do, you know, I tell candidates, the whole purpose of your resume is that every line, the goal is to get the reader to get to the next line. I'm doing the exact same thing in our job postings. Every line, I want it to be interesting enough that they continue to read through the entire posting and at some point submit their application. This is almost like uh, copywriting for uh, for job candidates. Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. I saw a, a course from a gentleman out of Europe, I believe, who created a course for copywriting specifically for recruiters. And I thought about taking it, but we've been so busy and having so much success, I haven't found a, a need to. But if our candidate pool dries up, maybe maybe I'll take them up and, and pay a few hundred bucks to continue my education. That sounds really interesting. I never thought of recruiting that way as kind of the, the marketing for staffing. It, it's a lot of marketing, especially with how many recruiters are out there. Like I said, I it, it's it's the one thing that proverbially keeps me up at night is, okay, we really need a tax manager. I reached out to 100 today. I only got a 10% response rate. This needs to change. How can I get this response rate up to 15%, 20%? So in a way, it really is a, it's a sales and marketing type job when you're reaching out to those. When you have candidates that aren't applying, so I'm reaching out to passive candidates. I'm thinking, what can I do to get them to pick up the phone, call me back, respond to this email? One of my buddies told me the other day, he's in the recruiting space, that he got an email from a recruiter and the subject line just said, you poachable, and that's it. They had their signature with their name, the company name, and their phone number in the, you know, on the body of the email. But it was a very quick read. And I don't know if you've heard of disk profiles, but there's a, a personality type where they really appreciate that quick, to the point, just this is what it is. I'm from an accounting firm and I'm hiring. And that type of personality will respond to that email. So I also look at it from those four, the DISC personality profiles. And sometimes I'll run email campaigns where I'm doing one for the D, one for the I, one for the S, one for the C. And I'm hoping that I'm catching about 100% of the population, assuming they haven't unsubscribed already, (laughs) right? But um, hopefully if a, a candidate gets all four of those emails, one of them will appeal to them and they'll write me back. And that's not an idea I came up with. That's from a, a recruiter who I networked with out in Texas. And I don't want to claim that that was, you know, my my creativity. But when he told me about it, I definitely copied the idea pretty quickly. That's awesome. And I never really considered what it's like to be a recruiter and reach out to candidates and not getting a lot of responses. What does that feel like? Do you, does it feel like the people you reach out to are not interested or they are just happy where they're at. Why is it uh, such a low response rate typically? So before COVID, it was about a 33%. And typically it was the, the other 77 was one of three things. They either ignored you, 
they either told you to F off because as recruiters, some of us are a little bit too salesy and too pushy. And I, I think that there are some recruiters who have turned the, the word recruitment into a four-letter word. And then the third reason is, like you said, they're content. So they might they might give me an answer and just say, you know, thanks for reaching out, but I truly am happy, happy with my title, happy with my pay, love my coworkers. There's just no reason to leave. And and I agree with them. All right, back. I, I agree. I'll never email you again. Have a great life. If you have a friend that needs a job, facilitate an introduction, please. During COVID, my response rate for a time was at zero, to be 100% transparent. And I knew that, I thought I knew that my messaging is getting better. I'm getting better at my job, I think, but my response rate's going down. This is very, very strange. So then I started reaching out to my network of recruiters who are all over the nation in various industries, but mostly to the ones in accounting and asking them what was going on. And they said, we're getting the exact same thing. It's not you, it's all of us. So towards Thanksgiving and Christmas, accountants started to respond a little bit. And every single one of them, ones that I interviewed, but also ones that my colleagues interviewed, said the exact same thing. With everything that happened with COVID, you know, COVID changed the world. There is the George Floyd incident. There is the election. There's just all this instability. I even took a pay cut. I'm not going to get my bonus this year. All that being said, I'm not going to change firms because if I change firms and I don't like it and quit, or you don't like me and I get I get let go, then I have nothing. And at this point, I just need to provide for my family. And so I think a lot of candidates who were still employed, those response rates plummeted because they just wanted something stable in life. You know, their job, their family, they weren't going to do a job switch in the middle of a, a global pandemic. I see. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. And, and I didn't think that would be the reason, but it makes sense. People really starting to value stability when there's chaos all around them. But that has changed now. Response rates are trickling back up. It's exciting. I like it when people actually answer my messages. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, as I'm fairly young in my career, I'm sort of approaching, I don't know, eight years in in the job market. And I always assume that recruiters just get a hundred percent response rate. Like you send, like everybody's always looking for a job, even if they're at a job and, and getting an email from a recruiter was like this big event, like, Oh, I'm, I made it, you know? And, uh, I reached that level probably a year ago, less where I would occasionally get a message from a recruiter. But before that it was nothing. And, I, I, it kind of makes sense. You know, I didn't have much of a presence on LinkedIn, uh, which is what recruiters mostly use now to find, uh, at least on social media, find candidates. But I heard Twitter is used a little bit as well, at least in tech. How does somebody go from invisible to visible to a recruiter? You just brought up a great point, which is your your LinkedIn profile. You know, LinkedIn is, it's a, it's a big profile. There's a lot going on there. Your skill set, your what should your headline be? Should you have your about me section filled out? You have to put in your prior jobs. If you've never built one, it does take a little bit of work, but it's worth it because then it puts you on their radar. At, at minimum, 
what everyone should do is underneath your name, there's a place for your title, or you can even put multiple titles. And you should have that filled out because when I run a search for, let's say, a staff account in LinkedIn, that's going to be the first thing that LinkedIn grabs is that whatever your job is right underneath your Mm -hmm. name. So if that's blank, or let's say you put something like, let's say I put dog dad, I put something silly, right, to try to be personable and relate to other people that have dogs. There's a chance that recruiters might never find me because they're not searching for dog dads. They're searching for controllers and CFOs and, like you said, engineers. The other thing I tell people is that we also search by skill set. So you can go down towards the more bottom section of your LinkedIn profile very quickly. You know, put in tax, put in data processing, put in assurance work. You know, just drop several things in there real quick because if I can't find what I want by title, Sometimes I'll ask my employers or my clients, tell me three things this person has to have. What are three things they have to do to be successful at their job? So then I'll I'll start searching through the skill section of people's profiles. So if you want to get noticed by a recruiter, I would say have your job title or multiple job titles or jobs that you want, and then have your skill section filled out so that when we're searching for candidates, you'll pop up in our search. Okay. And the skills section on LinkedIn, it's like that usually near the bottom where people endorse you and it's like a bunch of little blocks. Is that right? Correct. Mm. And how much of a difference does the endorsing do? I don't think I've ever looked into that. You know, that is a good question. I recently started asking people uh, to endorse me because I'm trying to build the, you know, the optimal profile, so to speak. And when I want candidates to hopefully see those endorsements and and think, oh, okay, this guy, he seems to know what he's talking about, at least according to these people. I've never had someone reach out to me though and say, hey, we want to hire you because of your endorsements or, or maybe not that specifically, but no, just no one's commented on it from a, from people that have tried to hire me as well as candidates who have come to me. But there's only five there. And I also want to start giving them out more. So give me about a year to give out a bunch and get a bunch more in. And then I'll let you know if it's worth the time to uh, to collect those and give those out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I've written any for, for other people. But that seems like a, a good way to facilitate that and get some back. Exactly. Yeah. So the next step of you know, after you figure out your whole LinkedIn profile and you become a little more visible, you want to, uh, the next step is to send your resume, or at least the next thing you send to a recruiter or a hiring manager is your resume. What are some things that would stand out for you on someone's resume? So one thing that stands out are long ones, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pages, not okay. Um, I never read those. If I get one of those, I will sometimes do one of two things. I either ignore it because I think that someone probably isn't a great candidate and they're trying to give me so much. Look how cool I am. I have all these skills. I'm like, what are you trying to hide that you spent eight pages convincing me isn't there? So I actually see it as sort of a red flag. And sometimes I'll read just the first position to determine what are they doing right now and would it make sense to to just quickly scan maybe page two and three as well 
to to just you know see what's going on with this candidate. Um, so that's one thing I, I don't think you should do. Even if you have 25 years of experience and 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 maybe all the content is good, still just don't do it. You know, at a high level, put what your job was, put four or five bullet points, and and keep it from one to three pages. The other thing is to that point that I just said about maybe reading their first job. I think it would be very interesting to see a you know a one to two sentence header if you don't want to do a a cover letter and you could call it like an executive summary and then do one to two sentences about, hey, my name's David. I've done full cycle recruiting for one year, filled all of our positions and half the time we expected it to take. Okay, cool. Here's David. He's a very efficient recruiter. Next section, put your skills. But I've been coaching candidates to take a new a new way of thinking about this. There's these terms where we use detail-oriented or another one is efficient or highly organized. These are on every single resume. And I don't think anyone's going to go around saying they're not organized or not detail-oriented. So I'm sick of seeing this. You're sick of writing it. What can we do about this? I tell them, look up emotional intelligence. And there's five different aspects to EI. And it's self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, motivation, and social skills. And take a couple friends, couple family members that know you really well, that you trust, text and lease five words and say, when you think about me, which one do you think I'm the strongest at and which one do you think I need to work on? And then put that as two of your skills. You know, so if you're really, really good at empathy, put empathy on there. And if your second next best one is self-awareness, put that on there. But then even going a little bit deeper with it is I saw someone put recently recovering procrastinator. And what I liked about that, I resonated with that. And I thought, when and if I do a job search one day, I'm going to put that on there because it's sort of funny. I saw you even smile a little bit when I said it. And it's sort of funny. And I think anyone who sees that is going to ask about that. They're going to say, David, why do you have recovering procrastinator on your resume? And I would say, well, I was that kid in high school that never did any of my homework. And then in college, I would wait till the last second. I'd stay up for 48 hours, cramming, 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 having four energy drinks to, you know, get ready for that test or exam, graduated college, got my first job, realized in tax season, you can't procrastinate anymore, David. You have too much work. You have to start scheduling. You have to start being strategic about when you're going to work on which projects you got to be to work on time, if not early. I had to become an adult, right? So it leads to a little story. And then what that story does is it shows that you're self-aware, that you actually are organized, you actually are detail-oriented, that you're strategic and you're thinking about when you should do your work, that you're good at having multiple things come at you at once. But instead of me saying, I'm detail-oriented, I'm organized. I told you a fun story that broke the ice, got you smiling a little bit, and had a great phone screener first interview. So that skill section is really, really powerful if you're creative with it. Mm. I lo- everybody loves a good uh, a good story of overcoming obstacles and transformation. It's like a hero's journey. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's how I became Daredevil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I feel like that's a little risky. You know, for someone like you, I, I would totally, you know, be creative on my resume, for example. But we just have this perception of recruiters in general, where you know they're more looking for ways to to uh, write you off than they are looking for ways to um, 
find you interesting. And that, that has been the perception of, you know, me and my colleagues and people I know. Granted, I don't know a lot of recruiters, but we just have this sense because, you know, the response rate on the job seeker side is so low that we're so afraid that we're going to be discounted for something a little bit risky on our resume. What do you think about that? That is a good point. Let me tell you a story about maybe the the type of candidate that would employ some of these more riskier tactics. I had someone reach out to me through LinkedIn earlier in the pandemic, been laid off from his job, wasn't sure, hadn't been conducting a job hunt in a long time. And so I told me, send me your resume, send me your cover letter. Let's jump on a Zoom call. Resume was okay. There's definitely some room for improvement. Cover letter was okay. There's room for improvement. And I gave them some more standard tips. You know, that's that's just get a simple, well put together resume first. And then, you know, if things don't go well, we can start employing some of these strategies like what I just said. And, And so fast forward six months and he told me that he contacted me again, said, we, can we have another call? And I said, sure, send me your resume and your cover letter. I want to eyeball them one more time, remind myself of who you are and what you are working on. And we jump on the phone and he hadn't changed anything. He hadn't employed any of the strategies I had given him. And so what I would say is to anyone that's been looking for a job for a while, it's been a couple weeks, it's been a couple months, it's been a year, and you're just not finding anything something in your system isn't working. Maybe it's your resume. Maybe it's you know the way you're answering interview questions, but something is not working. And so if you take a look at your resume and it seems to look like it's sort of generic and potentially like all the other resumes the hiring managers are seeing, you need to do something so that this resume reflects you. Because at the end of the day, you are your silver bullet. What you bring to the table is going to make you best for this position. And that's hard to do on a piece of paper. So for someone like me, who's constantly researching topics like what we talked about earlier, you know, that revolve around habits and the brain and sleeping and and these kind of things, they can see that when I start putting emotional intelligence terms in my skill section. So I would just say, what is a way that you can be creative where it's not that risky and they can see your personality and you and what you bring to the table. Don't just make a generic resume that everyone else makes. Something in there, something needs to reflect who you are. One thing that's a little less risky is instead of just listing bullet points under your jobs of, you know, I prepared S-corp returns and I reconciled accounts. That's two things that a lot of accountants do. What accomplishments did you have? What measurable change did you bring to this position? And then put that in the line. You know, I turned a profit on this health club. We were at a loss. We were losing 60000 a month. And by the time I left two years later, we were making 200 a month. That, that one's pretty easy to, to quantify. But think about your job. You had to do accomplish something while you were there, right? So don't just list your job duties. Talk about what change you made and what value you provided so that they can see this person's a go-getter. They're going to look for ways to improve our company. Let's have a conversation with this person and see how their skill set could slide into here. So, you know, I don't look at it as being risky. Those resumes that come through that are a little bit more creative with their the words they use and just a little bit more intentional about what they're looking for, I'll always call that person for at least an initial conversation just to sort of see what's up with them, what are they looking for, what do they bring to the table, 
and then we can determine does it make sense for this conversation to continue or not yeah yeah the little twist that i sometimes put on it is that i have something eye catching something a little bit uh edgy in my resume and my linkedin but that it's not quite edgy on paper but if you read it like i have some i like for example i have some puns in some of my job descriptions uh in some of my um the bullet points and uh i have a little a little thing that kind of pokes fun at that and then i have another where i talked about um you know fun things i did while i was doing that job and it's kind of like couched with like technical things and you don't really expect to see it and then when you actually read through it you notice it's there and it's fun and interesting but yeah it's uh it's very delicate i would say but it could be the you know the thing that makes the difference i i want to see your email can you or not your email can you email me your resume? I want to. I want to read these puns. Yeah, I'll send. I think it's actually on my LinkedIn. Um, so I'll send you that. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, I've only had a few people actually read through it and like notice it's there because people usually just skim through everything. Yeah. But. Well, recruiters are. I don't know if you've heard this before, but depending on which one you ask, we're notorious for only spending anywhere from seven to about 36 seconds on a resume to determine, do I want to call this person? Do I want to talk with this person? Do I want to read more? And part of it isn't that we don't, we're not trying to be like ruthless or, or mean, but when you open a job, you get so many applications coming in in some instances, and we just literally don't have the time. We know that our company has a need. We need to find a person that has this skill set. So it's a very quick scan of, like I said, I'll usually, if there's a headline at the top, I'll always read that. If there's a skill section, I'll read all of those because that in and of itself can help out a ton. And then it's usually a quick five to 10 second scan of each of their jobs, depending on how many jobs they have listed. Um, but but similar to you, someone, you know, they put one line in uh, and I copied them when I was searching for my job during COVID. At the very bottom, I think he said hobbies or he put about me. And then he listed um, that he likes to go to the gym. He listed a sport that he played. He listed listed the type of music he listens to. And one other thing. And I loved it because he just, to my point earlier, he made it personable. And it sort of humanized the resume a little bit and made it seem like, oh, I'm actually reading a thing that was created by a person. Because sometimes when you're just reading document after document, you forget that you're reading about people's lives, right? But if you can personalize it a little bit like that candidate did, and he puts it at the bottom, just one line, four words, this is who I am. I love that. And it was the first thing I asked him. I called him up and I said, hey man, I've never heard of, it wasn't kickball, but whatever sport it was, spike ball, that's what it was. He said, I've never heard of spike ball. I could have Googled this term. I decided to instead just call you and start the conversation this way. So what's spike ball? And I could hear the energy in his voice. He lit up instantly and told me all about it and said, if, you know, if we become coworkers, I'll take the team out and we'll all play sometime. So that's a, another little tip of, you know, something easy you can do that takes five seconds to add onto your, your resume. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I got one final question and I'm very curious about this. How has recruiting changed in the past 
you know, 15 years with social media and people on their phones all the time. Just the explosion of the, uh, the digital world. I think the main way it's changed is that we can reach out to passive candidates now. Because before, I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to remember when I was at the gym, we would post on some sites. But even before that, I remember when people would come in to the gym, ask for an application, they would leave, bring it back a few days later, and that was your candidate pool. That was it. You know, I don't think we ever posted in newspaper ads or anything like that. We were a small local mom and well, actually, let me rephrase that. We were small in the sense we were only in Sacramento. We had 20 locations, but really the only way for me to reach out to passive candidates would have been to go to the grocery store and start (laughs) just asking everybody, you want a job? You want a job? You want a job? Right? So now with LinkedIn and, and with tools that LinkedIn has given recruiters, you know, the upgraded premium plans where I can send in mails and whatnot, um, I think it's it's open that passive candidate market that didn't exist before. I heard one person the other day telling me that because I'm in my method of recruiting is to build relationships, I could fire up a Twitter account, which I'm not going to do. I've never had a day in my life and I'm not planning on changing that now to recruit. But I liked his idea if I was on Twitter and it was to get an account and just follow all the accountants and to watch their feed. And as soon as I saw someone tweet about, hopefully I'm using the, the, <laughs> the terminology right, as soon as I see them tweet about something that also interests me, Game of Thrones, Daredevil, a picture of their dog, whatever, right? Respond and say, your dog's so cute. Don't say anything about recruiting. Don't say anything about measured results. Just start to actually get to know them. And after you've exchanged three or four messages or commented on three or four of their tweets, whatever it is, I can go in for the kill, so to speak, and say, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm actually a recruiter for this firm called Measured Results. I saw you post something about how much you hate tax season, but mainly because of how many hours you work. We're only working 45 hours here, man. You know, we're 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 out the door by five, maybe 5:30 on a, a long day, quote unquote. You want to start a conversation? I thought that idea was great because it goes uh, along with Gary Vaynerchuk's method of jab, 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 punch, or jab, 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 swing, whatever it is, but basically give, 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 and then ask you know, for something in return after you've given multiple times. So I thought the idea was genius, but like I said, I'm just determined to make it through this life without downloading uh, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I, uh, I lost that battle. I was tempted too much, but uh, good on you for avoiding that very, you know, mixed bag that is twitter yeah awesome well thank you so much for doing this is there something you want the listeners to know about where to find you yeah so if you type daredevil in on linkedin i'll be the only result that pops up uh so you can find me pretty easily there i'm on linkedin all day every day so if you send me a a direct message uh definitely would you know be more than happy to talk One thing the firm's allowing me to do right now to try to help our community recover from COVID is if you are starting a job search and you want me to take a look at your resume and your cover letter, your LinkedIn profile, if you have questions on interviews, if you're stressed out about your job search and just want to yell at someone for 10 minutes, I'm here for you. So if anyone wants to, you know, just needs a resource to try to upgrade their job search, I'd be more than happy to help. Like I said, LinkedIn is the best place to reach me. My email is on there. The phone number is on there. You can call me. You can text me. You can direct message me. You can email me. I'm a very easy person to get a hold of. 
Awesome. Well, thanks again. And I uh, really appreciate you uh, taking the time here. And again, nice background. I really enjoyed that. Thank, yeah, thank you for having me. I had a, I had a ton of fun and, and that it always goes by quick. We got in the flow very easily. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Thanks for listening. Visit excellentquestions.fm to listen to more episodes or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I'll see you next month.